God, we repent of having a small view of you. We don't honor you with our lives as we should. But I pray that today you would enlarge our capacity to know you, to enjoy you, to delight in you, to love you above all things. Uh, the things that we read and study, these are not just words on a paper. They are not just philosophy. They are words of life. And even if we can't understand them, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress them on us uh, with whatever feeble words I can muster. I pray that your Spirit would cause us to love you more through your word, God. So we give this time to you. I pray that you would open our hearts and uh, do your work here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are... This is part two of the incommunicable attributes of God. So who can tell me what incommunicable means? There are two types of... Um, when we talk about the attributes of God, there are two distinctions. You guys know what... If one of them is incommunicable, guess what the other one is? Communicable, all right. So what is the difference between communicable and incommunicable? Yes. Yeah, okay, so Mike has it down. Communicable means that uh, these are attributes that we have as well. So when God says that, when the Bible says that God uh, is a loving God, people can be loving. When God says that, when the Bible says that God is a good God, people can be good. Incommunicable means that these are attributes of God that belong only to Him. Last week, Pastor Michael spoke about the incomprehensibility of God, uh, just how vast and big and how completely other he is. And today we talk about this word, um, we're going to use the word aseity. This is actually going to be split into two lessons because the first uh, aspect is the self-sufficiency of God. Next week we're going to talk about the self, I'm sorry, uh, this week we talk about the self-existence of God. Next week we talk about the self-sufficiency of God. I'm super excited for next week's lesson. I'm also excited for this week's lesson. But um, this week's lesson we're talking about the self-existence of God. So let me start off with a little bit of philosophy to get us thinking about what this might be. I'll say it and I'll explain this a little bit later. Uh, the ontological argument for the existence of God. Have you guys ever heard this argument? There are. This is one of the um, one of the classic arguments for the existence of God. There are multiple variations of the ontological arguments, but the very, at the very on the on the most basic level is uh, I have this listed. If you look on the piece of paper, we've got the effect. We know about cause and effect, right? If something happens, then we know that there has to be something that caused that to happen. So, uh, for example, I was. We have a baby swing in our um, in our home right now. Someone at church gave it to us, and I put Zachary in the baby swing, and then I, I turned it. I turned it on to to uh, calm him, and it didn't calm him, so I just picked him up. And then I was holding him for like twenty minutes, and then I gave Zachary to Christine, and I went back into my room to do work. And this was like an hour later, and I look over. I'm like, how in the world is that 
is that swing still swinging? Like, is there a ghost in the room? Um, it turns out that it's battery operated, and I forgot to turn it off. But like, if that weren't the case, I'd be like, wait a minute, how is it possible that that's moving? Because I don't know that there was anyone else in the room with me. Um, I don't know if there are ghosts in the room with me. But the, the the cause of it was the battery in the in the swing was causing it to move. You could go back further. Well, who put that battery in there? A few weeks ago, I put the battery in there. Well, um, who created the battery? The people in the battery factory created it. Well, who thought to create it? Well, one day someone thought, there are machines that need batteries. So let's come up with this concept of a battery, this portable device that, that transmits electricity. It's amazing. Well, where did we get to the concept of electricity? Somewhere along the way, some really smart guy figured out how we can harness the power of electricity. You can go back all the way to whatever it is. This is just a really simple example. But when we say that there is an effect, we, we, we know that somehow that just didn't happen by itself. There had to be a cause, right? So if you look at your piece of paper, there's an effect. Something caused that. Something caused that cause. Something caused that cause. Something caused that cause, and you can go back five years, you can go back 10 million years. What ultimately caused was the first cause? And the ontological argument says that there is a being that was the first mover. This was the being that caused all things to be. So who is this, or what is this force? What is this mover? Uh... That is the very, very, uh, the most simple explanation of the ontological argument. If you look online, just type an ontological argument, there's a lot of information, but this is the most simple explanation I can give you. And um, let, me, uh, let me go on to our, our passage in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So as believers in the Bible, we might say that, okay, here we are. Um, and we are, we exist because our parents existed and they did stuff. And then our grandparents existed and they did stuff to cause our parents and go back and back and back. However many years you want to say, um, since the beginning of the world. And then we can say that this was a point in which God moved. This is a point in which God did his work. So we might say that God was the original cause of everything. Um, I, I was I was on uh, Instagram the other day, and um, sometimes people post videos, and I saw like a video of the creators of Kubo and Two Strings. Do you guys know that movie? It's uh, it's kind of like a claymation type of film, but it's incredible because it followed the mo- these these people that created these characters for this movie, and they moved them a little bit at a time. And it took them, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of man hours. But you could see they did, it was like a fast forward type of video. And people are just like moving like these these figures in tiny little increments. Um, so if we look at, if, we, if you watch the movie, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like it looks like whatever the movie looks like. How did they cause it to move? Well, we got to look behind the scenes and we saw that it was human beings that had a lot of time. They had a lot of resources behind them. And we can say, these guys, with all their money and all their creativity, created Kubo and Two Strings. So, for us, 
what created, who created us, who created the world, um, why does that matter? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In this verse, we see that something, everything that is had a cause. But who caused that cause? And what I'm going to explain for the next few minutes is this, that uh, God is, God has somehow revealed himself to us. We'll say that God has revealed himself to us through his word. And he's made himself known because in our own minds, we can't, we can only speculate as to what the original cause was. Uh, A.W. Tozer, he is, he was a pastor in the um, mid-1900s, and he um he has this great book called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's just a really short book. Uh, it's a type of book that you'll keep for life if you read it because it's so rich and dense. And it's um, it hits you in the head and it hits you in the heart. But he says that philosophy and science, they don't like the concept of God because they work because these realms of knowledge and science, they, they work within the realm of what is knowable. And they don't like things that they can't explain fully. And to them, this concept of God, it, it, it just has, God hasn't made himself known, so they might be hostile to the idea of God or a supreme being. Uh, but God might say, well, you in your limited knowledge, uh, I'm not going to, God can say, I'm not going to explain myself to you in your terms because I am beyond that. I'm beyond what you can imagine. So, we want to know God, but we don't like it when we don't, when we're not able to understand God. Um, so how do we do this? How do we do this? We all have this. We might have this concept of a God, and we might say, "Oh, like it would be really great to know who this God is." You know who else said that? If we look at uh, Acts 17, I'm going to have. Can I ask for a volunteer to read Acts 17 uh, under this? Who is this God? Okay, Tracy will. Mm-hmm. said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as a, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and all right, thank you. So this happened in the first century, but these people that created this altar to an unknown God, they they share a universal longing to know this supreme being. Paul says, look at all these other gods that you have surrounded yourself with. You've created them with your own hand. You've put them in a temple that you have created with your own hand. Whatever concept you have of them has come from your own mind. But there is a God that you you acknowledge, this unknown God. And let me explain to you who he is. He made the world and everything in it. He doesn't live in temples made by man. He does, he's not served by you. We have this idea that we can serve God, really. We have this idea that we can do favors for God and God will thank us. And we'll talk more about that next week. God, Paul says, this God that you have in your mind, he's not served by you. You know... Who serves God is the one who serves his people. Uh, Paul says at the, towards the end of this passage, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
this echoes Genesis 1. God gives life to everything. And look at Isaiah 40, 18. These people in Acts and also people that we know, maybe ourselves, uh, we, we want to know God on our own terms. Uh, we want to know God in a way that we can really just grasp. In Isaiah 40, this is what he says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? This passage talks about, it, it, it implies that we're trying to know God in a way that is understandable to us. So, for example, um, we might think that God is a bigger version than us or a better version of us. Some people have made the comparison that if God is the ocean, we're just a tiny little drop in the ocean. We're a raindrop, and God is that much bigger. Or if God is a whole Gobi Desert, we are one one grain of sand in the desert. And we might say we appreciate that attempt to explain God, but we might, but we'll also say that that is completely a completely wrong way of trying to understand God because we're trying to understand God in categories that we understand, but God is in a completely different category. He is he is qualitatively completely different in his essence. He's different. So, um, for example. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more later. I know it's very abstract. This is the philosophical part of the lesson. But uh, if you have a pet, let's say that you have a dog, um, you know that he's a dog based on, if someone asks you, well, what kind of dog do you have? I have a Labrador Retriever. What is it? It's, it's a female Labrador Retriever. How old is it? It's three years old. Um, we can explain a dog in those terms. Uh, and we want to explain God in terms that we understand as well. But God says, how in the world are you going to explain me? I am beyond what you can explain. But God has done something about it. So I'm, uh, I have here West, the Westminster Confession of Faith. You can leave. This is what our church subscribes to. So um, just a little side note. If you guys, if you've seen websites that have what we believe uh, sections, we have our own what we believe section, but it's not on our website. It's just called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's the articulation of all things that we believe as a church. This talks about the uh, self-existence of God. So you can read that on your own. I have this just for reference. Um, let's move on. Let's try to explain this a little bit more. So God has made himself known. God is incomprehensible, but God has somehow made himself known. God, the uncaused cause. John 5.26 For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So, who created life? God did. Where did God get his life? Let's say this is God. Who gave life to God? We don't know, right? In our own minds, we can't know. A child might ask, well, if God created everything, who created God? That's a logical question because you would think that everything has an origin. Everything needs to... Everything is derivative of something else. But God says, all life belongs to me. And the concept of the aseity of God, I have it here. It's it, tr- translated from Latin. Ase means from self or from himself. So God sustains himself. God is the giver of life and he himself is life. 
I have this quote from John Calvin. God is said to have life in himself, not only because he alone lives by his own inherent power, but, but because, containing in himself the fullness of life, he communicates life to all things. So God, as a creator, God has... God has expressed his creative um, genius in creating us and everything that there is. So, what caused God? Nothing caused God. We're not going to say that God is self-caused because that would imply that there was something that caused God to be. Am I? This is really um, abstract and theoretical, right? And this is what is... We don't know what to make of it. How is it possible that... Somehow there is a God, and he just is. How is it that he just is? He explains, God will explain himself in a, a couple of stories in the Bible, so we'll hit those. But um, as, as Pastor Michael would say, let that cook your noodle. Is that what it is? <laughs> have, you, have you guys ever heard this word, aseity? Um, this really abstract concept. But it's fundamental to who God is because God is, there's nothing that's, that serves God. There's nothing that sustains God. There's nothing that causes God to be other than himself. So that means that everything that God is, he was before there was ever us, before there was ever heaven and earth. God just was. And next week, I'm going to talk about the Trinity, and I'm super excited because the Trinity explains a whole lot of stuff that no other worldview can explain. So it's, come, come, back for, come back next week for that. But um, let me uh, give a couple more notes before I move on. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, do you guys, have you guys heard of this guy? Uh, medieval theologian slash philosopher. He has this... He, he, articulates this concept called divine simplicity and he says that god doesn't have any parts of any kind neither spatial meaning like like just there's no reference um that god needs for him to be and i'll explain a little bit more of that later um or temporal uh meaning that god doesn't need there to be a 2016 nor does god need there to be a 33 a.d for him to um to exists in the world. I don't know how to explain it. Um, because abstract things are dependent on individual parts, but God depends on no one or nothing. God depends on no one or nothing. So let me uh, throw out a teaser for next week. Is God a loving God? Is God a good God? Is God a creator? If he never created the world, would God still be a loving God? Would God still be um, a good God? So stay tuned for that because this is really tied to next week's lesson, the self-sufficiency of God. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about what it means that God is um, from himself and that God is completely independent, that God doesn't need anyone. So I'm going to go through a a few verses. I'm going to ask for – do you guys mind if I just move down here and have you guys read? Okay, so – God is eternally independent. I'm going to have Rachel. Can you read Psalm 92, please? All right, from everlasting to everlasting. We we like to think of time in terms of you know, let's see, whenever things were created, to now, to whatever the future. 
this is this is how we think of time and space. God is saying in this verse, before there was ever creation, I existed. I existed. What was God doing during this time? Again, uh, we'll, we'll need to talk about the self-sufficiency of, of God next week. But he's saying that before there ever was anything, I just was. I did not need the world. I did not need creation to bring value to myself. I did not need creation to make me happy because I was happy in myself. Um, God is eternally independent. John, can I have you read Acts 7, please? All right, so again, there are people trying to explain God by with by their own um, frames of reference. And God is saying, whatever you build for me to live in, I can't live in that because I go beyond that. So God is et- eternally independent. For all of t- time, even before time existed, God has existed independent of things that we think of, in, things that we can comprehend in our minds. Um, let me, let's go to... God being independent in his thoughts. Uh, Jamie, can I have you read Romans 11, please? All right. So, God is saying here, every all these thoughts that I have, I don't need your advice, human being. I know exactly how things are, and I am going to, whatever I want to happen is going to happen. God is independent in his thoughts. You cannot counsel God. You cannot tell God, God, look at my life situation, and I want you to fix this in my life. Because I know my life better than you do. I understand pain in my life better than you do. And God will say, no, you don't. I understand things way beyond how you, whatever you can think of, way beyond your understanding. I understand it even better. You cannot counsel me. You cannot teach me. I have all knowledge in myself. I don't need you, human. Um, God is independent in his power. Um, Hannah, can I have you read Psalm 103, please? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. All right. God, again, does all that he pleases. There is nothing that happens in this world or in this universe that God did not ordain. Everything that happens, God has ordained it to happen that way. And to us, we might think... Well, there are some really bad things that happen, and there's no way that God could have let that be. And in our limited understanding, that makes sense because it doesn't make to us it doesn't make sense that people would die needlessly. It doesn't make sense that there are hurricanes and earthquakes and um, and whatever there is that causes havoc in the earth. But God says everything that God does, this is what He wills. This brings pleasure to Him. And we can't understand exactly why, but God says, I am completely independent in my power. Man's man's thoughts, man's attempts to control me, that will not work. Um, God is independent in his counsel. Uh, Jessica, can I have you read Psalm 33, please? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. All right. God has a plan for all of history, and it will happen. You cannot change the mind of God. You cannot change the course of history. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. 
for all generations, it will last. Uh, God is independent in his will. Anna, can I have you read Daniel 4.35? All right, thanks. Um, Mike, can I have you read Romans 9, please? You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? All right, Uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to read the others, but this point is that God isn't accountable to anyone. God God doesn't need to explain himself. God just is. He is completely independent. He can do whatever he wants to do. So he, uh, and if we look further down, um, Revelation 4.11, the last line, by your will they existed and were created. We exist because God wants us to exist. Uh, so God isn't, God isn't limited by what we want. God isn't beholden to the circumstances of history. Uh, everything that God is, God is completely and permanently in and of himself. So we cannot change God. God is just who he is. God just exists. And that is the ground of all reality. So I know that at this point I'm still talking in very abstract terms. But God has done something about it. God has said, uh, yeah, I know that human beings can't fully understand. Let me do something about it. So we go to this passage in Exodus, which is the, the... the prime example of God expressing who he is, uh, the aseity of God, God being in himself, self-sustaining, self, he, 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 he himself is a source of all life. Um, Exodus 3, this is the encounter between Moses and God in the form of a burning bush. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time, the rest of the lesson on this. Um can I have some volunteers that are willing to read these long chunks of text? Can I ask that table right there? Um, you guys back there. <laughs> Can I have you each take one chunk of text? Is that okay? So um, Kyle and then Annie and then so. Um, so pay attention. There are There's a lot of good stuff in these passages. Why don't you use
another suffering child comes out to live in the lives and hand of the Egyptians and bring to them up to out of that land to a good and broad land, a land of flowing with milk and honey, to the place of eternal joy. Hittites. Perizzites. <laughs> these are these are weird names. Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Beautiful. So this is what we're going to focus on. It's a rest of the class time. I am. Moses is in a bunch of crap. His people are being oppressed. He is stressed. This is He's the leader of, of the people of God. And he wants to meet God face to face. And God comes down to him in the form of a burning bush. So I don't. I'm, that's a bush. And God it is burning, burning right there in the bush. And in this bush, we see the aseity of God. We see God self-existent, not in reference to anything else in the world. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down through, the, through this passage and point out some things that are really, I think, really rich in explaining who God is. So first off, First off, the fire is in the bush. The fire is not above the bush. The fire is not beside the bush. It's in the bush. And this, this, is, this signifies that God is in, this, in our temporal space, in our limited frame of mind. God is right there in the middle of it. It refers to God's presence with his people so if we look down at the at the bottom of the uh, first block of text he says this i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob god has made a covenant to his people god has made a covenant to these people so when you hear of god being referred to as a god of jacob and the god of isaac it's in reference to the covenant that god has made with his people i'm going to bless you i am going to be your god you will be my people so the spring bush signifies God's presence in, right in the middle of the situation of his people. Uh, also, the bush itself does not burn up. Isn't that amazing? The bush itself does not burn up. And also, the fire does not derive its fire, its, its fireness from the bush. Because normally, what do, you, what do you need for a fire to exist? You need oxygen you need the spark you need fuel right there is no fuel to this fire it exists solely by itself it did not need the dry bush the dry brush of the of this of the uh, bush so 
if you if we go down, um, actually look at verse two. The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I have this phrase right beneath this passage: the unburning bush. This unburning bush. How is it possible that the bush that the bush was not burned up? As as we try to, as we try to expound on that, let me point out a few more things. God is not um, necessarily creator, so he God God voluntarily condescended to be with Moses. God voluntarily condescended to be in the bush. Um, so he what this signifies is that he has bound himself to his people without destroying his people. So if God really is as big, if God really is as strong, and if God really is as holy as he is, the bush should have, should have been burned up. God says to Moses, take your shoes off, for this is holy ground. So the bush is not burning. If we go, I'm going I'm to go past the second block of text. Um, we're going to go down. Uh, Moses asked God, who do I tell the people, What? how do I explain to the to your people who has sent me. God says, I am who I am. God, Moses is asking God to identify himself. And God not only says who he is, but he shows himself who he is in this flame. So, the, in this flame, God is showing himself to be above the laws of nature. Whatever the created order of nature was, God says, I exist beyond the created order of nature. We, it also means that God is, exists without reference to other things. So let me give you an example. Um, my son Zachary, uh, there was, at one point, he what did not exist. Christine and I never even imagined that he would exist. But somehow he is. And how do we know who he is? We might say that he is the son of Wade. He's the son of Christine. We might say that he's five weeks old. We might say that he weighs eight pounds but everything that i talk that i when i talk to him i have to speak of him in reference to other things i need to speak to him in reference to weight i need to speak to him in reference to length i need to speak to him in reference to who his relatives are i need to speak to him in, in reference to how long he's been how long he's been alive and everything that we we think of ourselves it has to be in reference to something right you might say i'm the husband of this person i'm the wife of this person i'm the friend of this person our identity is based our identity is derived from other created things but for god his identity does not depend on anything else so here he is in the bush it does not depend on the bush itself it does not depend on the laws of nature it does not depend on the goodness of Moses because Moses was not a good man. It does not depend on the the faithfulness of Israel. God has bound himself to Israel. But what does scripture show us? Israel is faithless all the time. So God just is. God exists without reference to anything else. So God says, I am who I am. There is no other name. God does not say, uh, I I am such and such in reference to other things. He doesn't even say, I am the God of Israel. We see that elsewhere in the Bible. But this, at its very essence, God is who he is. And that's all there is to God. This very simple statement that is confounding. How is it that God exists in and of himself? And how is it that we can know who God is? Um, 
God is just, I don't know how to, like, God just is. God necessarily exists. If, if there is any existence, God exists. Um, let me, how much time do we have? Uh, we, ha- we have a few minutes. Um, let me open it up for questions because this, it, it's, it's a hard concept. Um, any questions or comments? Yes. Um, one way that I try to explain it to friends of mine or just people in general is we we as people we tend to understand that men and women are just wired differently. Why is it that we have such a hard time understanding that God is what He is? Yeah. Instead of trying to uh, like disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's um. He just is who He is. Yeah. God just is. God just is. God is a basis of reality, and um, I what what I wanted to do is that's my three minute warning. Um, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to combine the self sufficiency of God along with this lesson. But um, there's so much information that you guys are gonna have to wait. Um, but yeah, God just is, and I know that that sounds really trite, but God just God doesn't need us. God is independent of our thoughts. God never needed to create. God was happy in and of himself. Um, so uh, thank you for that. Um, it, it's it's difficult. Yeah. Let me go on for the sake of time, and then we can talk about this more a little bit later. But God continues to reveal himself. So look, let's go on to the next section, the creative word of Genesis 1. So, oh, I'm sorry. Let me... Uh, I am. There, there's another. This is a form of. This is. Um, if, if we look at. There's another. We can also translate I am to. I am just to be. It's not that God is becoming something. It's not that God was something and is something now. It's just God just is. So this is another word to be. And hold on to that. Stick that in your, um, in your cap. We're going to touch upon that in just about a minute. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, Who is this talking about? Jesus. Jesus was the Word. This word word was, W-A-S. Uh, we see this a few times in this passage. The word was um, in the beginning. W- in the beginning was the word. The word was with with God, and this word um, was. It's the the imperfect tense of was is to be, to be. So we see echoes of I am and who Jesus is. The action of of being was already taking 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 place. This is what um, John one is saying. That. Jesus is presently I am. Jesus has always been I am. Jesus will continue to be I am. In John 8, 58, Jesus says this. He says, before Abraham was, I am. This is a grammatically incorrect statement if it's spoken by anyone else besides Jesus. Jesus says, I am the I am. If we go back to our passage in Exodus, Exodus 3, 2, who is in the bush? 
the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. There was a person in the bush. How is it that the bush was not consumed? Because someone else was in the bush taking on the fire. Someone else was in the bush being burned. I am was in the bush. Jesus is I am. Jesus is to be. And how can we know this incomprehensible God? It's through the work of Jesus. Jesus becomes more than our, our conceptual idea of I am by taking on the suffering that this burning bush received. Jesus is what allows us to know I am. This is the only way that we can know who God is. And this touches upon us in a very immediate sense because the essence of sin is that we want to live independently of who God is. So sin is saying, who is at the center of my career? I am. Who is at the center of my relationship? I am. Who is at the center of my fill in the blank? I am. Sin is saying that I am going to be in control of my own life. Sin is saying I am supreme. I am on the throne of my life. This is antithetical to who God is because only one person can be I am. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. I am what I am. This is only because God was gracious to Paul. So this is why the self-sufficiency of God matters to us. Because God just is. We can bank our lives on this unchangeable God. This God who is. Now we can look at our lives and say, well, things are falling apart in my life. What's gonna who's gonna who's gonna take over? I am. Not me, but I am is gonna take over. Who is going to fix these problems in my life? I am. Who is going to who is going to remove this sin from me? Who is going to change my mind? I am is. Uh, there's so much more to be said. I'm going to touch more upon it later to, uh, next week. So stay tuned for that. I'm more excited about next week's lesson than this. But uh, um, so this this was just to get you thinking. Um, it hurts my mind to think about the self-existence of God. That God just is without reference to anything else. God just is. Um, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything to be who he is. So let me pray and then we'll... Um, Walk away confused or astounded. We'll walk away astounded by this. Let me pray. God, you are the I am, the great I am. And um, I pray that our lives would be centered around I am because we are not. So um, would you, as we continue on in worship with our brothers and sisters in the other room, would you continue to teach us, continue to grow us, uh, enlarge our hearts, and may our worship be directed solely for you, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.